Welcome back to The Pilgrim Soul, a podcast about the journey of faith in the world of today. I'm your host, Sophia. I'm Adriana. And I'm Juliana. And today, we're so excited to be bringing you an episode on the resurrection. We wanted to bring you an episode honoring the celebration of Easter. Um, But as we always do, we're recording ahead of time. And so we're actually recording during Lent. Mm -hmm. And when we had the idea to focus our discussion on the resurrection, what it means for the Christian message and what it means for each of our lives, um, we also discussed amongst ourselves whether it would feel inappropriate or like a contradiction to be recording this during Lent. But actually, in my experience of praying about this episode and preparing for it, it has been perfectly correspondent with this liturgical season and has actually helped me live it more fully. It's reoriented my heart towards the horizon of Lent, Mm -hmm. kind of a way to live in the shadow of the resurrection. And it has not only increased my longing for the celebration of Easter that is to come, but it's increased my longing for the resurrection now in my daily life. Mm. And I think as we were just discussing before we started this episode, um, not only have we been living the liturgical season of Lent, but it's been very, it's felt very Lenten in our lives and in the world. There's been so much suffering and death that it's made this question ever more urgent. And so we're, we're really looking forward to bringing this discussion to you and diving in. Yeah, thank you. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, thank you, Julie. For me too, I have realized more deeply that I gaze at Lent through the lens of the resurrection. And every liturgy is a reorientation into that. Like we're celebrating from the perspective of the resurrection while again experiencing the sacrifice on the cross in the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And to gaze at Lent through the eyes of the resurrection. I think more truly like reflects where we're living right now, both experiencing the sacrifice of the cross and the mystery of the cross. Like it's a, Abbot Jeremy calls it like a concentric circle in this book he has on the resurrection. Awesome glory that I highly recommend. Oh, it's so good. Rather than like a linear line. And I liked that image. Yeah. And I think it's an image that is borne out by witnesses in my life. As Julie mentioned, this has been a period of seeing the cross in my life and the lives of others, seeing death around me in a very intense way. And I think that's true of of a lot of us between crises in Turkey and Syria and Ukraine and various prominent deaths of loved ones. In the midst of this, I've been faced with unassailable witnesses of this simultaneity of death and resurrection that you're speaking of, Adriana. I think especially of a family friend of ours beloved young woman in Florence who died a couple weeks ago of a an aggressive and painful cancer. And she had just been married a year and a half before. And the homily that was given at her funeral, at which they used the same readings that they'd chosen for her for her wedding, articulated so powerfully her certainty that this moment of her death was going to be actually her espousal to the one who created her and had sustained her all these years. And her certainty that that this was a sign that the Lord wanted her more than she ever could have imagined. Mm-hmm. And so all she could do was was submit and trust at this moment. And faced with a witness like that, how can I look at the deaths of the tombs in my own life as places of meaninglessness or some kind of tragic fate or something I'm powerless in front of? 
how can I look at them with anything but hope, with confidence in the one who rose from the dead? And at the same time, in front of these incredible witnesses, I've been so convicted of the fact that I live the resurrection as an abstraction. I live it as an idea or like some legend that somebody told me or something separate from my daily experience or even my relationship with Christ. And so I'm eager to learn from the two of you and to share the fruits of of what we've been working on in these weeks of reflecting and praying about the resurrection so that I can better and more truly enter into this mystery that, as you said, Julie, is not just for the day of eternity, but today. This promise that if I die to myself and following after Christ today, that today I can begin to rise again. Yeah. I can experience, I can experience the dawn. Thank you so much, Sophia, for bringing up the story of Silvia. I was also so moved by the homily at her funeral, and it reminded me so vividly of the death of another young Italian woman, Chiara Petrillo, who's on her way to sainthood. Yeah. She too went to her death singing. And as a bride, she approached her death as she approached her wedding day. Not only that, but her loved ones, and in particular her husband, uh, he was able to accompany her on this path and to really give her away to Christ, her spouse. And in, in this period of trial, her love with her husband grew to an extraordinary depth. It was purified in living their own spousal relationships with the Lord. And I think, as you said, this is evidence of the resurrection because it is not possible. It was not possible before Christ, and it is still not possible outside of Christ to live like that. And if there's something about this, this is what Romano Guardini says in his book, The Lord, if the resurrection doesn't make us uncomfortable, if there's not something in us that resists it, then we should question whether we're seeing the resurrection as a fairy tale or as a legend. Because exactly, if we understand what it is, there should be something that resists because it changes everything. It changes everything. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And we can no longer be the same. And as you were saying, Sophia, I mean, when I read that, I was really uh, challenged by it and I felt corrected by it because, mm. yeah, I mean, it's easy not to allow myself to be moved in that way. And yet these witnesses, it's unforgettable for me. It's, it's a testimony and it's a challenge. It's something that I want for my own life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Um, we'll definitely share the homily because I didn't know Sylvia and I was so moved reading about her life and her witness and the clarity in which she saw her vocation and her espousal to the Lord through Matteo, her husband, and the recognition that everything she was being given, even the suffering and the trial and her death was a gift, was so moving to me. Particularly, I lost my uncle a month ago. So too, I like recognize that in these really dramatic moments, like the death of a beloved uncle, um, I need the resurrection. And my faith in the resurrection allows me to grieve well to sort of like rest on Christ's body and trust in his infinite mercy as my centering point. Mm. And we were talking a little bit before this episode, how do we better allow these really large experiences in our lives to be integrated into our ordinary? Like how does yes. the resurrection matter in every single moment? And you know, we say resurrection, but we mean like the Paschal mystery, that the entirety of 
the cross and resurrection. Exactly. Because what's at stake is not just the continuity of my soul's existence after death. Like, in a sense, even Plato thought that the soul was eternal, right? Because it's something that you can't disintegrate or decompose into other things. And so that means that the soul is eternal. So we're not just talking about unending existence of the soul, but a new kind of life, a new life in which my embodied being, my humanity has a place with God. I can be born again from above, Jesus would say, but I can draw my life from God through grace today and so experience a kind of living, a form of life that is entirely different Mm -hmm. from what I would have otherwise. And this is the promise for our daily lives. This is the promise, as, as you both have articulated, for looking at our loved ones upon their own death, trusting that this is what's awaiting them in the embrace of the Father for eternity, but also that I can begin to experience that today. I was reading, one of the things I did for Lent was, um, or I am doing currently, is reading Jesus of Nazareth, uh, Ratzinger's, the mm-hmm. third book in his trilogy on, on Jesus, and came across this line that... Christians once called themselves the living, that this was their like moniker for themselves, like we're the ones who are alive, Mm. which I loved because, I mean, if you listen to Jesus in the Gospels, this is the promise for us. Um, He who believes in me, even if he dies, shall live and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. I live and by his grace, I I believe in him. And so I already have that fullness of life that is undestructible because it comes from above from the lord and i want this to i want this to pervade everything in my life and i want everyone to experience this i appreciate that a lot sophia i was just thinking like how i don't want to like belittle the nicety when people when you experience a death and someone says like oh they're in a better place and yet how reducing the resurrection to quote unquote they're in a better place makes the resurrection boring And I was really struck by that homily you sent me on the day before Father Giussani's 18th anniversary of his death, which was on Ash Wednesday. Oh, yeah, Father Mike's. Yeah, he quoted um, Lorenzo Albacete. He said something like, the amazing thing about the church isn't that we live the resurrection of Christ, but that as a church, we've been able to make the fact of the resurrection something boring. (laughs) And I was struck again, like I was resting with that the last few days. And also what came to mind was this question I put forth in our Holy Spirit episode of like Jesus saying so clearly, it's better for me to go in the Mm. ascension. It's better Mm. for you for me to go. And that the truth of that in part has to do with his resurrection, of course, but also because the resurrection, his body ascending, we are now his body. Like the body of Christ is the church. We are part of his body. So we're We are resurrected. Like, we are living the resurrection now. Mm. We are the risen ones. What does that, like, mean for, yeah, my ordinary moments, my waking, my making breakfast for the kids, like, every part of my day, what does it mean that it's better that Christ has ascended because I am the risen one, like, with the body of Christ, not me alone, but... Yeah. Adriana, thank you for that. I think... I too really urgently am trying to see how this is true in my daily life. And one place that I found so much freedom is to live as if I'm expecting the resurrection, to wake up expecting the resurrection in my day Mm. and begging for it and asking Christ to rise again in my life. 
this expectation is a reasonable one because it's what he's promised me. It's what the risen Lord promised me. Mm -hmm. And it's what centuries of Christians have testified to. And it's reasonable because I've seen him answer that cry in my own life. And as I mentioned a little bit at the beginning of the episode, this has been a season where various circumstances of my daily life, both external and internal, have made my heart feel very heavy. And it can often, often I wake up and it feels like a great sacrifice to face my daily duties, honestly. Like I'm not, mm. I'm not excited and, and I don't feel risen. My body feels cold and, and in the tomb. One day recently, you know, I had this experience and I was kind of filled with the darkness and I came home at the end of the day tempted to just close myself in the room and turn inward, I guess like the apostles were doing after Jesus died. Um, and instead, I I stayed with my family and we just had a very ordinary evening, but I was so struck by the beauty of it and the presence mm. of something outside of me. It was like angels rolling back the stone of my heart. And truly, these ordinary moments made me exclaim out loud, Lord, I hope heaven is like this. Wow. And it was the most ordinary day. It was the most ordinary day. And I could have missed it all if I wasn't looking and if I wasn't begging. Mm -hmm. The memory of that moment and so many similar moments of resurrections in the mundane, that's what keeps me on my knees. That's what makes me go back when I need him again. And it keeps my eyes open. And so I've really been challenged by these experiences because this is something I very much need to grow in. I'm by nature kind of a pessimist and a cynic and very inward looking. <laughs> so, Same. So, Must be genetic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, it's, it's really been, I mean, such a tangible, vivid reality that it's undeniable. Yeah. And I do want to see what's there. I want to see where else is this true? Yeah. Yeah. If I can't believe the resurrection, then I can't believe my own eyes because I've seen it. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you. That's a clear example for me of the fact that we are new creatures. We have been made new by our baptism. We were reborn by the death and resurrection of Christ. And so even though there still is this, you know, as St. Paul says, there's the old man in you and you got to fight. There's an old man in me too. Like <laughs> I can relate so much to your story of coming home from work. I last week was having a difficult day with my Lenten fast and just tempted to distract myself to try to just get it over with. Basically experiencing this present moment as a prison and just waiting to get out of it. And then Chia, my housemate, arrived home and was immediately down to pray Vespers with me. And all of a sudden from the words like, oh God, come to my assistance. Remembering like, I'm in crisis. And yet I can beg to the one who, as soon as I turn to him, runs to me with aid. And the entire evening was different, exactly as you said, Julie, which is so beautiful. And so this shows me that because of our baptism, the baptism doesn't make it like, you know, like Cinderella at midnight, all of a sudden everything is fabulous. But because of our baptism, we can start again and again and again. There's there's the indestructible seed St. Peter talks about within us from which renewal can start. And this is how we begin to look at reality as he did, full of loving expectation. Yeah, and we can begin to act as he did and to love as he did. And this is how this is how Christians become witnesses of the resurrection is through this conversion, through becoming the new man. Well, and in your example too, Sophia, the same thing is true. It's not something that 
you did that changed things for you. Right. Your freedom was engaged because you have to be present and you have to receive, but it happens without you. The resurrection goes on without you. It's offered to you. Christ in his risen body holds his hand out to you, but you're not making him rise. And there's something so freeing about that because it no longer depends on us and our merits and our emotional state and our capabilities. It's offered to us every day. Yeah, what I really appreciated about what you were saying, Julie, was through this begging, you were able to have this experience in the present moment. And I think what's more common for me when I'm not actively living in awareness and begging for Christ's presence is to see things in retrospect. Mm. Like, why didn't I realize that was a good time in my life? Like to see in the past Mm. or hope for the future. And one thing I was really touched about in Sylvia's homily, she had said at some point, my vocation is the present moment. Yeah. And it reminded me of St. Therese of Lisieux, who says that too. And the reality that God is only in the present moment. It is the present moment where we experience the infinite. There is no past. There is no future. The like eternal now. Yeah. That's the the lens on which I want to gaze at my reality that Christ can offer me in the present moment, the experience of the cross and resurrection that you witness so beautifully to in just this ordinary moment. And you can't go anywhere else for that. Like if I look around at our contemporary culture, I think we see time and space as a prison, as something that limits us. There's this sense of like the the fleetingness of life. And yet precisely because of that, this instinct to need to escape our circumstances in order to find our fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And where does this lead you but nihilism? Because you can't do that. We're damn time and space. Like we're bound by it. But the risen Lord, like what is one thing that the Gospels in their jarring and sometimes conflicting and dramatic presentations of what this new kind of life from God was like, what it was like to encounter the risen Lord? One of the things that they emphasize is that he's not bound by time and space. He literally walks through walls. Yeah. And all of a sudden he's in Galilee and then he disappears from in front of the disciples' faces at Emmaus. And he's not bound by the same limits that we are. And yet he's present in this world. And this is what's possible for us too, as you were saying, Adriana, like by our own incorporation into the Paschal Mystery, my love is also not bound by time and space. I can discover a meaning and a density to this present moment that means that even if it is fleeting, it can also be the beginning of of an experience that will last forever. And this is what it means that my vocation is now. And um, yeah, I experienced this. I think I mentioned this on the episode on the cross too, but I experienced this in my work, like sitting in my office at whatever, Friday. And so I'm, I'm fasting and thinking of the Pope's intention for this month, which is for victims of abuse. And so offering my difficulty with focusing on this paper that I'm reading, offering this for those who have been abused in the church and for the scandal that this causes people, all of a sudden this simple act, I'm no longer bound by this prison of my duties and these four walls, the 2.45 on my watch that I wish would say 5 p.m. so I could go home. But instead, the whole universe is in my office, you know? And this, I think, is a beginning of what the Lord himself lived after the resurrection of unboundedness, of living the present moment in relationship to eternity. Mm. Wow. 
that raises for me the question of what are the other primary signs that you would point to? Because it's good to look for evidence of the resurrection, right? The Lord doesn't ask us to believe in him, as you were talking about, Julie, by suspending our reason and our freedom. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's through our experience that we come to know that this is true. So where where in the church, in the history of the world, in your lives, do you see this evidence that has convinced you it's reasonable to say Christ lives? I was thinking as both of you spoke about with freedom about your own kind of failures and weaknesses mm. and the gospel too. Abba Jeremy talks about this in the book, like they speak very freely of their failure to remain united in the wake of Christ's death. They're, you know, running off to Emmaus, hiding in locked rooms, Peter's denying Christ three times. And this doesn't just kind of like get out and somehow make it into the gospels. It's the apostles themselves who like share this failure. And it's because of the resurrection that they're changed. Mm. That that itself is evidence of the resurrection. I mean, they were they were totally dispersing. They didn't remain a, a body of disciples anymore. Yeah. And for me, the possibility that persistent failures in my own life don't have to be the final answer like the possibility of that and then experiencing it. And when I think of my own journey, I think Christ has been like such a faithful spouse because he has given me really, really obvious moments of the cross and resurrection. Like one really clear example is childbirth, where like the literal sacrifice of my body, I'm like experiencing it happen in intense pain. And then the absolute joy of resurrection and like the birth of my child, but also this like new body that is me, that is mother, has been so powerful in the two times I've delivered. And then even in this third experience of pregnancy, they're very like sacramental encounters. But then bringing those to like really ordinary ways, I think it's like the same spaces each day where I find temptation, it's like between 6.30 and 7.50 a.m. Is a really time when I'm challenged to practice any virtue or like receive the day with openness. (laughs) And then again, between like 11.30 and 12.45 p.m., like when I've picked up my son from preschool and I just entered my third trimester and I probably haven't eaten, so I'm like starving to make lunch and get them lunch and get everyone to nap. And I like handle this transition moment so poorly um, and reflecting on my desire for the resurrection to be present in my ordinary life. I found myself in Lent, like really looking at these moments that are Mm. ordinary. And it's not like I'm committing like grave mortal sins during this time. Like I'm just living nihilistically. Like I need to get through this. There's nothing for me. And at my worst, like I'll practice no patience. Like you're going to have what I've made for lunch and (laughs) you're not going to complain about it. And asking Christ, how can I live these moments that every day I pretty much experience better. Can you help me experience your companionship? And can you like carry me here to be open to you? Mm. And that like, it's through my frailty and it doesn't have to be like the total alleviation of all of my embodied 
weaknesses like that I'm hungry or that I'm going to be increasingly pregnant (laughs) in the next few months and then I'm going to have a newborn. Like all of those things will be ongoing, but through them, can you give me the experience of resurrection? And finding him in moments where suddenly there's an opening given to me that's just like so appropriate to my own circumstances and so minuscule to me as a witness of the resurrection that like Christ is showing me there's life here in this place that for you, there's only, there's only nihilism, there's only death. Yes. I love those examples. Thank you. Me too. And it so resonates with my own experience. In thinking about your question, Sophia, where we see the evidence, what came to mind for me was unity that can't be explained. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about For example, there are so many examples in my life. Unity with my husband, even though he knows my failings more intimately than anybody else. Unity with friends who have shown me the face of Christ, but I don't see very often. Unity with the body of Christ that is the church all throughout time and space. And this unity takes place not only in our human relationships, my human relationships with others, but also the unity of life. I think about, for example, every year, the New York Encounter, which is this event that Communion and Liberation in the United States um, puts on in New York. You can just look at the, the list of witnesses, the list of topics. It spans every aspect of life. So diverse. Um, Exactly. So the unity is not just among us, but the unity is in everything that exists, all of creation, all of my experience. All of this is possible. I mean, it would make no sense without Christ because things would not be united. But now through our baptism, we are one body in Christ. And also all of reality is united because the resurrection is the final word over everything. And this for me is evidence because this for me is something that cannot be explained otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love what you're drawing out, both of you, the the meaning in the present moment that our pain is not the final word, but that life can come through it, um, vulnerability, and exactly as you said, Julie, this indestructible, unexplainable unity. I completely agree with those things. I think one powerful testament to the truth of the resurrection in my life and and in the history of the world is a capacity to love till death. And I was reflecting on Psalm 118, which we've talked about on the podcast before. I have a love-hate relationship with this psalm, <laughs> the one that repeats over and over again, for his love endures forever. Um, for his love endures forever. It's because the Lord's love endures forever. Through de- He loved them to the end, through death, to the resurrection, that it's possible that Christian spouses can love each other until death and go through the forgiveness and the periods of dryness and the periods of trial. And maybe one spouse even walks out on the other or whatever it is. But insofar as there is fidelity in the in that relationship until death, that for me is proof of the resurrection, that it's the Lord's life in their midst that is enabling them to love one another. It's incredibly beautiful and powerful, and I'm so grateful for my married friends for providing this witness that the world needs, that it is possible. But relatedly, also, my friends who are consecrated for the kingdom of heaven and live a path of virginity, which if there's sufficient listener interest in this topic, maybe we can do a whole episode on virginity itself, because Jusani has a distinctive 
articulation of and understanding of the vocation to virginity that I think is necessary in the church, a necessary voice, a critically enriching dimension to it that would be very helpful for the church to learn as we're talking about priestly celibacy and other things. But I digress. It's evidence of the resurrection because these people live a fulfillment in their lives that should be impossible, right? Because you seem to be denying your your human affectivity. Mm-hmm. You're renouncing the most natural expression of your affectivity, which is the relationship between a man and a woman. And yet they live every relationship as that kind of nuptial relationship because every relationship for them is a relationship with the risen Lord. Every relationship is a sacrament. Everyone, to go back to our episode on creation, is a sign of him. Not a sign that points to him, but a sign with whom the risen Lord coincides. And this is why, you know, virginity is the ideal of of all Christian love, of every relationship, not just those called to celibacy or, or the form of virginity in their life. And when I meet people who live this way, you know, the vibrancy of their lives and their gladness shows me that it's really true that we are possessed by Christ. And so we can love others without possessing them for ourselves, but looking at them with the eternal in mind and so possessing them even more completely and concretely than if we grasp them for ourselves. So for me, these two marriage until death, fidelity, the fidelity in marriage and virginity are unassailable evidence of the resurrection, like akin to martyrdom Mm. in terms of witness to Christ. Wow. Thank you, Sophia. I, as you were speaking, I thought just how much I need my friends who are consecrated or the witness of priests living celibacy, especially living celibacy really beautifully as an active reminder of like my own desire to possess, which happens most immediately with those closest to me, my husband and my children. And it's those in front of me who are living in that eschatological way right now, like an espousal to Christ now more fully, that are active witnesses to me that this is how I'm called for the sake of Christ, that I'm called to love my husband and my children and to like hold them with less possessiveness, but find through that very clearly when Christ gives me the grace to do that, you know, quote unquote, well, that I can love them more and that I receive more of them. Like I receive more of my husband when I hold less of him Mm. Um, and the same for my children. And that I think is only possible because of the resurrection. It shouldn't, that's a contradiction otherwise. Yeah. I think one last sign of the resurrection I was thinking about, (laughs) I gave a, I've been giving talks to teenagers lately, which for those of you who know me personally, you will know this has been a sacrifice <laughs> because <laughs> this is not this is not my demographic. Um, Do we have teenage listeners maybe? I don't know. Well, young teenagers. I don't know. <laughs> I just, there's something about the active disinterest and <laughs> hostile opposition to people who come across their path that reminds me so much of how I lived at that time. That's <laughs> like traumatic. It kind of scares me. <laughs> I know, it's a place where I need the resurrection, you know? But one of them was like a talk about faith and neuroscience, and it was a great group of kids. But I experienced in speaking to them about my path that my interest in neuroscience and in the brain was reborn and reminded me that from that place when I was in their seats, looking at those who were speaking to me with maybe some curiosity, but not the passion for reality that they had, The transformation that's happened to me since then in this 
last decade plus of my life when suddenly I'm interested in so many things that every moment, every activity, every cultural event, every historical phenomenon, in a sense, can speak to me of my ultimate fulfillment. And so it interests me. And so I can be speaking with someone, you know, at dinner in my college here who studies a subject that I've literally never heard of, but discover in their narration of what their PhD is about something so beautiful for myself that my heart is alive again. This kind of a relationship with reality where I have a posture of expectation that each person or each event can be something for me is so beautiful and it's so simple, but it's not something that I could give myself. Even today, you know, I need to be renewed in it by my friends who look at their own lives this way. But I'm so much happier than I was, you know, when I was 13 years old, I think in large part because I don't approach reality thinking that I already know what my fulfillment is going to be. And so the unexpected is is an enemy. But instead, to go back to our episode on restlessness, to befriend this and to make it a journey of discovering again uh, what's here for me today. Mm. Yeah, and when we live that way, everything becomes interesting, as you're saying, Sophia. That reminds me of something else I was thinking about, which is just the evidence of the resurrection and the method of the resurrection as the sacred being veiled in the ordinary and the sacred being mm. veiled in the human faces of others. Um, a couple weeks ago, I had a day off. And so I went with Elena to a monastery nearby that had replicas of holy sites in Israel to kind of allow the faithful who can't make that trip to walk with Christ, uh, walk with the scenes of the life of Christ. And in the church there, the tabernacle is hidden away in a small tomb, like a small stone tomb that would have been like where Christ was buried, mm. ordinary and small and plain. And then inside, there's this beautiful gold tabernacle holding the presence of the risen Lord. It was so powerful and so hidden that at first I couldn't even tell that that's where the tabernacle was. Um, and so I was thinking about how that was the method of the resurrection. It was sacred and it was extraordinary and it was majestic, but also it was limited. The appearances of Christ were limited in number and to whom they occurred. And he relied on the testimony of the faithful, mm -hmm. on the human faces of his apostles and the new converts and to make the resurrection known. Right from the beginning when he appeared to Mary Magdalene and said, go and tell my brothers what has happened. And Peter preaching to the thousands and to what we were just talking about, our experiences of our friends who help us and Sophia, you sharing your experience with these teenagers. And it reminds me too of, uh, I'm so excited because this year I get to go to the Easter vigil and I haven't been able to mm. in recent years with a young child. And anyway, one of the most beautiful parts of the, the Easter vigil is right at the beginning when the Paschal candle, um, which is huge and it's beautifully decorated, is lit and then the light is spread throughout the whole congregation by individual members who are holding their own candles and who pass along the flame, the light of Christ to those that are near them. And so the candle, it lives by sacrifice, right? Because every moment mm -hmm. that it burns, it's dying. And then it's only spread through the gift 
of others in this ordinary way. It starts out small and then it becomes, um, it lights up the whole church, right? Like this is how the method that Christ has chosen to build the kingdom of God. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is powerful. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Thank you, Julie. I love what you're saying about the ordinariness of, of the experience in a way. And then like Sophia too, to be open to the unexpected and unforeseeable ways that Christ will come again in our lives that you didn't have as a teenager, like being very closed off and mm-hmm. almost probably impermeable to mm. to the experience of the resurrection. And it and it made me think like one task of us required in order to better develop a lens for the Paschal mystery, for the cross and resurrection in our own lives is to be willing to revisit and enter more deeply into our own crosses. Yes. Because it's through the cross that the resurrection is experienced. Yeah. And I think there's such a tendency to, you know, we've talked about so much anesthetize or just in the really ordinary ways, like just distract ourselves to like avoid really sitting in, in that tension or in that cross, like as small as the cross is between like 6.30 and 7.45 a.m. for me, you know, like it's not this <laughs> deep physical suffering. But because of that, it's all the more easier for me to not look for Christ there, to like live it poorly because it's yeah. just such a ordinary moment in my day. And instead to really try and enter into those times with like a posture of begging Christ to meet me Mm. and then actually experiencing him coming to me in a total like resurrection of, of that moment. Those are the times when my heart is, is most changed from stone to flesh and I'm made most aware of it. Beautiful. But there is, I guess my cooperation, you know, right. Not by eliminating the tomb of your life, but by, crying out to him that something's dead. Yes. Yeah. And I'm struck by the fact that we beg for him to come, but he's already at the door knocking, Mm -hmm. asking to be allowed in just as he did at Lazarus's tomb, like despite the smell, you know, (laughs) he wants to come in to that deepest darkness of your existence and to break down the wall that we put up between us and him there. But no, no evil of ours is so terrible that it can't be redeemed by his love. And I was really moved this week. I tracked down my favorite quote from Augustine that I came across in uh, Father Kevin Grove's book on memory. And there was this image that he expounded upon from Augustine. Um, and I tracked down the quote. Augustine says that Christ gives us love so that we weaken when we see at our feet his Godhead grown weak by sharing our garments of skin. And so wearily flinging ourselves down upon him, he may arise and lift us up. That this is what the resurrection is, not like pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps up to heaven, but by flinging ourselves wearily down onto Christ who has made himself weak through the incarnation so that he in his resurrection can bring us up to the Father. And for me, as I yeah, in this time of Lent, have grown more familiar with my personal weaknesses and failings. This is incredibly encouraging that it it's not by taking those away, but by saying, this is a tomb, Lord, like meet me here, mm-hmm. that I come to experience the new life that was promised to me at my baptism. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sophia. That reminds me of our body episode and just like my own experience of pregnancy and like the increasing fatigue 
mm. that I experience or like limited capacity, I guess. And, and my temptation to see those like as obstacles to, yeah. to my spiritual fulfillment rather than the path that Christ is giving me, like just fall down. Like, yeah, I am in your fatigue. A task for you, for you both as you await your new babies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, perhaps we should uh, wrap the episode up there, but but conclude with our monthly media recommendation and challenge to help us all continue this path of living the resurrection and, and begging for this new life to happen. So do either of you have uh, one or the other to offer our listeners? I have a media recommendation. I just finished reading Children of Men recently, and it's a dystopian novel, not that long. But I was really struck by the themes of the resurrection mm. in it. And I think that the author, P.D. James, writes so vividly, communicates so clearly humanity's need for newness, for new life, and for something that lasts for all eternity. And when a few characters in the story find what they're looking for, what the whole world is hoping for, they sacrifice everything to keep it. Mm. What a metaphor for our need for the resurrection and what's at stake, right? So I think it's a perfect recommendation. There there also is a movie, but actually I I wasn't struck by the movie when I watched it. Okay. We'll put a link to the book in the show notes along with all the other uh the other resources we've mentioned on this episode and uh, on the archive on our website too. Thank you for that recommendation, Julie. Uh, Adriana, do you have a monthly challenge? Yeah. One thing that I'm always looking forward to about Easter is that we get to sing the Regina Chaley every day. Yes. And so my monthly challenge, if you're, if you're familiar or even not familiar, especially is to develop a habit of singing the Regina Chaley I'm familiar with it in, in Latin and traditional chant. We'll share a YouTube of that. Um, it's also translated into English, but mm-hmm. it's just the only time it's sung during the year is during Eastertide. And it's a Marian antiphon that I think is just, it's very short and it's really beautiful. So maybe start your day or during a significant moment of the day, each day, spend time with the Regina Chaley. I love that. And also, I think uh, one thing that we often lose is how long Easter is. So that can help us continue to celebrate Easter all 50 days. It's longer than Lent was. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. So let's let's carry forward the celebration. Amen. That's so true. I always think that about the liturgical seasons. Like we've become so secularized. Like we celebrate Christmas is one day and Easter is one day. But like, yeah, it's still ongoing. (laughs) Keep this party going. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And as always, know of our prayers for you. Uh, If you would like to write to us with questions, comments, feedback, or if you're a teenager and you're offended by my comments, the email is (laughs) pilgrimsoulpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find a contact form on our website, pilgrimsoulpodcast.com. God bless you. Happy Easter, everyone.